What is up, folks? It's the Emulsion Podcast, hosted by chef and media producer Justin Kana. That's me. The Emulsion is a result of my desire to educate, share, and personally keep myself up to date on stories stirring up the restaurant industry. I also sit down and interview remarkable professionals that are making exciting moves in their own unique and creative ways. Fine dining, chef swaps, new gear, critiques, professional performance, balance, hospitality, as well as the occasional rabbit hole are all just a few of the topics we get into here. With the goal, of course, being that you take off your headphones or get out of your car feeling smart more inspired or more connected than when you pressed play. Where is the long ad read? You will not find that here because the growing gang of amazing folks on Patreon make it possible for me to hit the publish button every single Thursday and I'm eternally grateful for their support. But more on that after the show. This very special on the road episode of the Emulsion Podcast is sponsored by Capital One's Purpose Project. Hey, hey there. I am back in town. How is it going? It is so great to have you here. This episode was super fun. I had the sincere pleasure of interviewing one of my best friends in the world, John Miller. As most of you know, we were on a road trip for about a week, moving him from New York City all the way here to Seattle. We passed through a plethora of cities, and I took a wide stretch of the road in the mountain time zone to kind of mount my camera to the dashboard, put a mic in the pocket of his sweater, and ask him questions all about travel. We get into his experience working at restaurants like Single Thread, uh, working with me in Norway when he was the restaurant manager and I was executive sous chef, what you should do when you feel intimidated by a wine list because he has a ton of Somme experience, and then his thoughts plan to take on a new city when you're traveling. I've got a very special ask for you at the end of the interview too, so make sure you stick through all the way to the end. Please enjoy our conversation. If nothing else, this is actually reaffirming how mobile my podcast setup is, because <laughs> this is like full production mode in the middle of Colorado. How far away until we hit Utah? We are 426 miles away from Utah. From Utah or Salt Lake City? Sorry, Salt Lake City. Okay, perfect. Uh, I mean, that's pretty much Utah. We have to go through Wyoming. Oh, uh, really? We really. touched Wyoming? I think we're in Wyoming right now, actually. Or we're, okay. We're uh, we're like 10 miles away from the, the border. Brilliant. Yeah. Okay, cool. And so, basically, our day started this morning with a really early wake-up, 5 a.m. wake-up. And I did six hours to get us through Kansas, for the most part. Then we blasted through Colorado... Which was actually a little uneventful, unfortunately. Yeah. And I pulled for a bunch this of questions. Nice. This is actually really nice, yeah. yeah. <laughs> this this only applies to the video people that are watching. Uh, but yeah, I, I want to make this all about travel. Because we've traveled quite a bit. And that is kind of like the purpose of this trip. And so much of it is professionally based for you. And so I guess my first question comes as far as how does this road trip compare to some of the other cross-country ones you've done? This one, this one's been a lot of fun. The, the last two, I've done it twice, one from Minnesota to uh, Napa, California. Oh, that's right. Uh, back in 2012. And that's been a mad, like a mad sprint. Um, you were alone? I was with both both the last times I was with my uh, older brother who uh, graciously helped me <laughs> take these trips. Yeah, um, and that was 2012. Uh huh. And the last one was 2016, and that was from Richmond, uh, Virginia, to Sonoma County, California, as well. And you um, were solo. I was uh, solo until Omaha, um, uh-huh. so about halfway through the country, two days of solo driving. Um, and then uh, again, my brother came down, um, who he lives in South Dakota. Uh, easy sort of trek from Omaha to 
uh, South Dakota and helped me drive the rest of the way through California. Um, just because, I mean, those trips, like 19 hours in a car by yourself <laughs> is insane. Brutal. I've, I've done it once. I've done 12 hours from Napa, California to Portland, Oregon by myself. And it's it's a lot of time by yourself. It's, it's a little crazy. Is uh, So I guess the question is, why do you continue to go back to the road trip? Why not ship it or fly it or hire movers or whatever? For me, I mean, I the last move I did, and I move around every two years, it mm-hmm. seems like, yeah. uh, was actually from Sonoma County to New York City, and I shipped my stuff and flew out there because um, it was February. I mean, same same time. Um, and I was actually planning on doing the trip, uh, but I I sort of had the funds to, to ship my stuff, and it was fine to, to me. You know, the trips are a lot of, like, it's decompressing in a way. It's Totally. It's getting back to, you know, the time time by yourself, time with somebody to just recollect, reevaluate. These trips has all, have always been bet, bet, uh, between sort of life events, usually based around careers and such big moves that it's it's always good to kind of, you know, it's something Gives incredible. you a buffer. Yeah, it's a buffer and some time to reflect. And like right now where you're looking out at. This is crazy where we're going through right now. Unbelievable. I'm like a little upset that I'm not so vlogging this. Beautiful. There's like um, beautiful stacked rocks on one side. There's snow on the other. Oh, it literally says point of interest right there. We're on the Colorado-Utah border. Uh-huh. Um, the rock, like going through a very low patch of the Rockies on one side, huge snow-capped mountains, and then kind of the more red red earth, uh, dusty hills on the other side. It's so gorgeous. And after so many hours of <laughs> Kansas and the Illinois and Indiana and Kentucky, it's a nice break 100%. to get back into. And for sure. So, I mean, I, I didn't want to ask that question as a way to like insult anything because I've never done this trip. And part of that is because like I've never had a good excuse to go cross country road tripping because I'm always like, well, I should just ship it. Uh, but yeah, this is freaking awesome and I'm super glad we did it. But one question that I was thinking of as I was trying to think of questions for you is would you be a traveling American businessman? Like 250 days on the road, hotel room to hotel room. Does that interest you in any capacity? Yeah. Really? I I, I came very close to it um, a couple times with uh, positions. And, And maybe not like American, but I mean, the thought of traveling... You know, working with wine and working as a wine importer, and uh-huh. I, I've I've done that with uh, friends in Norway. Um, a group called Nondos got to spend a couple weekends and weeks with them, where they've gone like pack a vet, pack up a van through and travel through France. You know, and and to me, it's you know, it is a lot of of time, but I've I've also it, it like depends on where I am in my life right mm-hmm. now. I, I'd love. Not like I love just kind of traveling and moving the nomad life the, the nomad life yeah the, the slight vagabond yeah 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 that's I I mean I was there too like that's why we both moved internationally I know yeah. 
I mean, I, the, the, the time we spent in, in Norway, Bergen was our base. Totally. Like, it was a great place to come home to. Right. The and, and work when we had to work. But if you had a long weekend, if you had a week or any more than two days to spare, usually out of the country. Yeah. Or, or in the country, but not in the city. Correct. And, I mean, that was... I, I talk about the fact that that was one of the reasons, biggest reasons I stayed in Norway. Because yeah. they gave us five weeks paid vacation. And, and then some. And then some. Yeah, yeah, correct. And it was, like, encouraged to travel, which I feel like is a little bit... Why do you feel like that's so anti... I mean, aside from, like, the labor laws that are in place and, like, the amount of time you legally have to give your employees. Like, I was so much more inspired to come to work knowing that like in 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 two months I'm going to Hong Kong or like in you know last week I just went to Copenhagen so now I'm stoked to be back at work I I mean I I can't I don't know the the reasons behind you know restaurant I think here the the labor is so I mean I think one end it labor can be really in, inexpensive right and so it does like you know, places in Norway are really pushing for three, four-day weeks yeah. um, as restaurants, which is a little crazy to think about. Uh-huh. But one of the f- contributing factors is the labor is expensive, so you can't keep people around so many times. We're oh, entering Wyoming right now. Here we are. Here we are. Very cool. This is really live, people. We're really live. Um, and the the labor here is so, so inexpensive that employers aren't like there's not like you're not investing like you're not it's investing. not an investment yeah yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. and you see that like Miami was one of the first restaurants in the world really to say like hey we're gonna have a four-day week for our chefs right and they're gonna do those four days and then they're gonna have three full days off and they're like explore the country uh-huh. explore whatever they're gonna come back in as Ben talks about how like I have the most creative inspiring team because you could like, I think you see, especially in the United States, so many like cooks and and that who are, are on the verge of being burnt out because it is so much work. And I think that on the flip side, when you travel, you become so inspired. It may not like where we are right now. I mean, we've we've crossed some very you know we, the flyover states. Yeah, yeah. But that like that still creates creativity i mean we're not you know i except for like last night going seeing kansas city and the food scene in kansas city right and some of the best food i've ever had it's true it's actually true in in a place i wouldn't expect it Uh to be or or would you know not saying anything bad about kansas city but yeah there there's so much out here that you can see and and just come take away from i think that that's also a good point that i didn't see myself coming to terms with is like Am I going to get bored <laughs> on this drive? Like, it, But what you realize is that it's actually, like, the moments of, like, not constant stimulation, right? Because I feel like travel can sometimes get pitched, especially when it's rushed, as, like, this constant, like, you're on or you're, like, you got to go from this to this to this. And to have, like, a breather can sometimes, especially, like, if you're taking a break from, are those deer? Yeah. Those uh, are an deer. Antelope. An antelope. Dear God. Yeah. So having that literal break of like because sometimes people rush it right especially like i remember when we were working at restaurants where you would get two weeks vacation is like you go from 
the sure. biggest push, the big clean down, and then you go right into vacation, and it's like there's no buffer. And you're, to- you're spending like, oh, I, I have two weeks off. I'm going to hit these five cities. And it's not even and, relaxing. Yeah, and, and you don't like relax. Like relaxation is so much a part of it. And I, I know there's so many, you know, places, and, and I see a lot of, you know, creative-driven people who go to the middle of nowhere and just like stay there right you know and then like yeah you have cities like tokyo or seoul or you know mumbai sure that are gonna like be so stimulating on one end but i think you also need the other end of of a breather yeah you need a you need to go to kyoto or um hokkaido yep in that trip and and take take in the the downside the the not the downside but the 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 less uh, stimulating shiny. yeah the yeah, less the, shiny parts you know the breather uh-huh. like right now is such a such a breather such a breather my ears are popping right now it's crazy i don't even know what elevation we're at but we're like we're, we're in it yeah we're in it and thank goodness there's no snow right now i'm just crossing my fingers we don't get to that so what i wanted to lead into next was how do we foster that in like american restaurants like do you have to see it as a chef? Like, do you have to go work in a place that gives five weeks paid vacation? Like, I think you have to, I mean, I think it comes from investing in employees. And, totally. And, and I've, I've seen a few restaurants where the, the, the chefs are like, you know, the, they, they advocate for that. If you, you say, Oh, I want to take a week and go to Japan. They're like, I will call every name in in my book to make sure your trip is exactly the way you want you want it to be. Sure. So that when you come and you you are thankful for that and you come back to that chef inspired and and I think that rather than I've seen also chefs that are the opposite where it's like oh like you're going to take a week off like I need you for this week when you know you yeah. have to understand you have to understand the life. Look at all those antelope. That is crazy. That's awesome it's so what why (laughs) like why are there antelope anybody in the comments that knows why it's so crazy look at that we're like having to pause the interview to just observe what's around us right now yeah for anybody who knows why the hell there's antelope in wyoming comment at comment at us let us know so and i i but i i totally agree that sometimes the reason that as a cook or as a chef you'll get you'll have this inclination to want to leave is just because you've like it's not because you don't enjoy your job it's not because you don't enjoy the restaurant it's just because you're like you need a little d- hit of inspiration yeah like, you, need, you need a change of scenery totally and, and the, the the best restaurants are are the ones that inspire you to who are, are willing to give you the time off to go and 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 know that you're going to come back and that's you know I think I won't even call it a risk. That's just investing. Like if you're insecure about your cooks not coming back, then there's deeper issues. But if you're pushing people to to want to explore and want to travel, like that, that is the most important thing in this uh, uh, in this industry is to, um, to like Ferdinand Pont said it. Like eat everything, read everything, see everything, and in the end, you'll know just a little bit like right. you, you there's right. so much in this world totally that it you know it's crazy that you wouldn't want to go out and explore it and 
and a drive through Wyoming in the <laughs> yeah. middle of February. It is it? February. And, you know, and find that exciting. It's true. It's true. And I mean, I get a little bit ashamed when like I grew up in the U.S. and there's like so many places that I haven't been yet. And I kind of like... I gravitate towards the Europe's and the Asian countries, and there's so much here that like, it's it it is hard, and the, and I think there there's now a lot more places you want to visit in those yep. like sectors, and 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 you know since we're in Wyoming and like Montana's near us, there's there's so much hunt like the I mean Big Sky, yep, and and there's this whole new breed of of chefs out there who are are hunting and foraging in these, I mean, vast spans of land that there used to be nothing and, and they're creating this culture and reverting to a culture that has always been there, but it's now just getting attention to. And you see that, I think, all over the country. If you look at, I mean, small places like Blackberry Farm yep. uh, in a little Washington, mm-hmm. um, Willows Inn in Lumi Island. Right. And, you know, I think places, you know, the while it's it's a little uppity but like look at Relais Chateau totally throughout the United States and you're going to find some incredible properties and and those those are going to be more reliable than if you're flipping through the Michelin Guide because you got to get out of the city yeah like, like all these places are outside of like the big metropolitan areas for sure yeah and I think that's also a really important thing is that like this was not necessarily a foodie trip like yes we're hitting up a couple places but like we're not stopping in Denver. We're not stopping in uh, Salt Lake City, really. I mean, we're staying overnight, but it's not like we have dinner reservations yeah. planned. And I think that's that's something that I need to be a little bit better at personally, is like taking the time to enjoy a trip for things other than the food sometimes. Yeah. Because I'm really good at like planning the restaurant tours and going on those like longer excursions to kind of like bounce around Paris or bounce around New York. And I guess that's part of the reason why, like, I've, <laughs> where are we going to eat out here? <laughs> uh, we're going to hunt it ourselves. But I need to, like, allow myself to be inspired. I think that's, like, the, the, the most important thing. Um, because, again, it's, like, sometimes that lack of stimulation. I mean, it's those, like, standing in the shower moments, right? Like, sometimes you have your best moments when you're, like, not being overly stimulated. I think yeah. that's that's important. So where do I want to go next? I, I wanted to chat a little bit about you touring around in a band because that also, like totally influenced probably like the the nomadic thing in your life where you're like you feel comfortable on the road you feel comfortable like being able to bounce around and work and so so can you talk to us a little bit about that yeah i mean i I spent a lot of time i mean even before all that like growing up my my family traveled a lot you know even just living in different places mississippi uh Germany, yeah, Europe, and right? South Dakota, yep. But even in those, like every, uh, sorry, no, I'm you're fine. This guy, yep. This is what happens with the live podcast, folks. Oh boy, we gotta, we gotta, we gotta make it there <laughs> before this interview can get published. You want to buy some fireworks? I mean, oh dear. Okay, uh, carry on. So, yeah, growing we, up, we traveled a lot. Like we, like every family vacation was more than likely motorhome or really? pack, pack the the Thule box on top of the uh-huh. SUV van yep. and go camping. Go just go to these these places. I spent so much time in the Badlands, um, time in like 
Moab time in Texas and Santa Fe and all all across the country and and we would do like a couple times a year drive from South Dakota to uh, Chicago in one day so a 12 hour day wow. of driving and I think that just made me used to this kind of this kind of travel especially right. this this long like long day travel being okay with being in a car for 16 hours or in a train for 12 hours mm-hmm. and not necessarily being jonesing, jonesing for like I need to take a plane and I need to get there in an hour and a half um, but being able to appreciate also the fact that like I mean the the views and the drive and the journey itself you know and, and I spent time like all that time growing up and then when when I was you know last couple of years in high school first couple of years outside of high school I spent a lot of time touring in different rock bands and and that was another way of fulfilling one dream of being a musician but also on the, the other hand like just spending a lot of time in cars a lot of time like sleeping on couches <laughs> yep. like living like that nomad lifestyle like I living in a car for, yep. for a while yep. and and being okay with that just because it was it was comfortable and it's something I love to do is just travel and and, uh, and especially kind of longer drives I, I've always found myself kind of gearing towards that and and in that exploration kind of sense like I don't necessarily plan out you know I'll plan out like I want to hit these three places but I also want to give myself just as much if not more time of of just getting lost yeah like yeah not necessarily driving but if we get we end up in a city that I don't know I, I think it's so important to find a district find a neighborhood that interests you and just you know on foot like walk around explore that was us in Kansas City yesterday that, that was exactly us in Kansas City and and you know when you hit a new city it's so much fun like before Kansas City the the last one was really uh, um, Dallas uh-huh. uh, and, and I was there for a wine event and had a lot of off time where it was just like in July let's go walk around the, the this neighborhood that's super famous for you know the nightlife and, and just getting lost and versus trying to trek out like oh I gotta hit up these five six places and you know, I knew people on that same trip who, who had their schedule so tight, and mm-hmm. I think it's for me at least more enjoyable to, you know, end up at a pizza shop, and that you never heard at, in a cool neighborhood, and just like that's where you get a true sense of, the play, the time and place of, of these destinations. I think that also speaks to your personality, though, right? Because oh, yeah. you're the kind of person who will like at least from how I know you will like strike up a conversation with the bartender or like the table next to you, you'll start chatting with them. And then like that will lead to you meeting them up for a, I don't know, like a foraging trip the next day. You know what I mean? Because they happen to be, I don't know. Part part of it and and part of the city. And, and you, you feel that too. If you have, if I ever, if I'm in a city that I know really well and, and somebody asks me, Oh, like I'm, I'm here visiting and especially the restaurants I'm working at and we get people visiting from out of country out of state out of anywhere and they like I want to give them the best experience in our city totally and give them the spots that necessarily they wouldn't find in a guide or Mm -hmm. they would 
they'd see it and brush it over and, and have those true uh, beautiful areas that, you know, or those awesome restaurants that you wouldn't know. And I, like, I not expect, but I, I get that because that's happened to me so many times. Of, right. Like talking to the, the locals and, and learning about the city. I think country, the town. Do you ever find, do you ever get frustrated with like traveling with certain people? I mean, you're obviously not going to go with someone who like wants to be super itineraried out for their, but like that's the classic statement, right? Is like you learn the most about someone by traveling with them. Absolutely. And I get super frustrated when there's people who are like, I don't know, like, uh, or no, I don't want to look at that website. I want to go on a tour, right? Like the yeah. super cookie cutter yeah, way. I mean, to, the, the cookie cutter way. Or the people who just don't want to, like, I, I've i had some some experiences recently and, and uh, like, just a handful of time, very luckily, where people just want to stick to the well-known areas. Right. And, and the, pot, like, the the Times Squares <laughs> of different <laughs> cities. And there's, like, I, like, uh, I mean, I was recently in London and I was with my best friend in the world who is not in the industry and doesn't like likes food but it's not the same priority as as i have it in my life as you have it in your life and and the people who are on the same level and totally and there were times where like i want to go explore hackney and shortage and Mm -hmm. these super like slightly like these very interesting neighborhoods and there were times where i was like no let's let's stick to these sort of you know very commercialized you know soho in London and, and, and it like to me it's just break away and, and go to these you know and that's where I would get frustrated with uh, traveling with someone where they don't want to you know step outside the comfort zone sure. and that to me is, is so important to truly get to know mm-hmm. you know I, the, the first trip I ever had to Paris was with somebody who like was a little bit in shell shock with the being outside like being actually pretty far away from the city center, the, the tourist areas, and my whole time I was just like I, I'd go it alone, bef- rather than go, go to the same cookie cutter, Times Square. Then, you know, I'd rather just put earphones in, and and walk twelve miles yep. around and just down streets, down, you know, alleys. Look look at see what what the city's really like. Then, you know, the the posh you know, shaped areas of a town. Well, because when you do that, you kind of, like, remove a little bit of spontaneity too, right? Because you're oh. less likely to run into that person at the weird <laughs> Yeah, like, you're 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 going to the places that are, are crafted towards people, and in my mind, they're crafted towards people who don't want to explore. Mm-hmm. They want to see the same, that is total comfort zone. Like, mm-hmm. they want to go to an area that has familiarity to them and I want to get to an area that has no familiarity I yeah. want to I want to get like go to that bistro third tumbleweed <laughs> so many tumbleweeds uh, and that we that it may not be good it, it you know it sure. may like but it's going to result in a story it's going to result in a story and, and in the end I'm going to be happier there ordering something I don't know mm. than ever going to a place I, I recognize totally so one thing I wrote down, and I'd be interested to hear your thoughts on this, is, is there in 2019 a substitute for traveling? Like, can you live in the middle of Kansas 
and develop by reading or is there this unspoken thing that comes along with traveling and being away from home like is it actually possible to like figure out a way to develop yourself outside of going to these places because it's so easy to get access to all the photos and all the all all the rest of the basically like people are putting it all out there online I think there is an opportunity to do that. There are books, there's Instagram, there is Facebook and Reddit and all these sort of tools that you can you can see and, and explore the world. But I don't think it's ever going to be like the substitute for the fact that of actually being there, mm-hmm. you know. The, the, I mean, there are places in the world I will never go. Right. And and sure. never have the chance to go. Mm-hmm. Um, but, I like, a, a picture isn't going to... For me, personally, the picture will never be enough. Yeah. And do you think that's because you're not breaking routine? Is it because you're not allowed to interact with, like, the cultural nuances of a place? Like, what what is missing from a picture of... Um, Lestrance's tasting menu, right? As opposed to going there. I mean, obviously there's there's so many things, but if you had to pick a couple that like someone who's sitting at home and maybe doesn't have a passport and they're like, I don't really know why I would want to travel. Um, what is like your biggest thing of like, this is what you're really missing out on by not going to these places? I mean, you're, you're missing out. Like it's like, our world right now and our, our generation and our culture are so experience-based. Mm. And you have these group of people that get to experience the world and and put... And there's now that there... I mean, a, a word for it, I, I can't really think of, you know, of people who just put out their their lives on Instagram sure. and, and that as experiences. And, and there are people who sit at home and, and eat that up and... Yep. And they're completely fine with it, and and they feel like they're they're living vicariously through it. But it, I think in the end, you're never gonna, you're never like, you're you're never gonna be there. You're never gonna like experience that. You can see a picture of it, but it's not you doing it. You're not your feet aren't in the, on the soil. You're not breathing that air. You're not in in the moment. You know, a picture is only that. And uh, like, I would much rather. Be, be in the middle of, you know, nowhere yep. with with these, you know, we we talked earlier about like the those food bloggers who are right now climbing. Uh, oh, that's right. Mountain in <laughs> southern, like South America. Yeah. Patagonia, I think. Uh-huh. And like, yeah, that's cool to really watch. But like, in my head, just because that's how it's my brain is wired is like. I want to do that. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. I don't yeah. know if I even could, but I'd ra- I want to like, I'd rather try. Sure. You know. Sure. And uh, like, I totally understand that there are people who, who don't want to try, uh-huh. and I think that you're you're not going to have the same experience. It's to each their own, for sure. It absolutely, you know, it is subjective, uh-huh. and it, I think it, the people who do it just only hope to inspire mm. people to do the same because they they understand how important it is to you're gonna you're gonna know way more 
have so much more knowledge if you're traveling the world or traveling your state or traveling your your area that you can than if you're you're stagnant i think another big takeaway for me for that from that is like hearing you talk about the fact that you intentionally build in these unexpected moments i think what paralyzes a lot of people is because so much of this what we put out there on the internet is like so polished oh yeah that you think that your trip has to be polished exactly right and so what i'm gaining from that knowledge from you is that it doesn't it, it's not going to be perfect right no. like your trip is not going to be perfect and it should not be perfect no. so if that is holding somebody back from like booking the ticket or getting on the train or whatever that's the beauty of it like the beauty lies in the it's like the wabi sabi right like it, the beauty lies in the imperfection yeah and i think that that I think, I th- and i think it, you have to you i mean when you do travel you got to do research yeah like yeah i'm not necessarily saying picking out every spot you're going but read up on the place mm-hmm. know know the general idea so that you're not walking into a trap sure you know or you you know what you're doing but you're not like there's a fine line between buying plane tickets to bali and just jumping on <laughs> yeah. and showing up and being like what now uh-huh and planning out every minute, having an itinerary set to the T yep. of what you're going to do. There's there's the that area in between where you wanna you wanna experience things and you wanna plan things out. But ha- like we said, like having that research what you research about the place so you can make informed decisions about your your actions. You know. So this very much so of this conversation was a little bit travel for recreation right like travel to be inspired but you brought up a little bit about having to travel for work like because you're a som because you have you're working in these restaurants that rely on you having knowledge about different areas of the world that essentially benefits you as opposed to someone who does i don't know well who who could who Who could either do their work from anywhere or does sit in a cubicle all day which you know or or stick to one spot correct so and and i think in this industry it it really you know you do have two routes you can remain like you find a company you love it you can remain loyal and and stay you know my my traveling has done has left me with a lot of different bullet points you know on a resume yeah that doesn't really mean that much to me right like I'm, I'm not doing it so that I have this stellar resume mm-hmm. that will, I'll never have to have a job turn me down because yep. that will never happen sure you know I I do it because I want to learn and push myself mm-hmm. but I think it it is so important because when in my field like I you know I work as a sommelier I work in the dining room. I, I view myself more as a hospitality professional than a singular job. And, and a lot of that was very intention, intentional with traveling mm-hmm. and jumping around in these different positions in these different parts of the world. You know, learning as a cook here in the United States on, on the East Coast, in, in Chicago, in the West Coast, and, and getting a basis for that. But also working as a SOM in Europe where I can spend a lot of time with vineyards and, and these classic wine regions. Um, 
and that like trying and working as a salmon in the Napa Valley where you know those those are the areas especially in the United States people drink those kind of wines and and, and I can walk away with with more experience and, and a, a better breath of knowledge than um, then I mean text textbooks are hard for me yeah like totally textbooks I can read about it all day mm-hmm. but if I'm gonna learn way more if I have my feet on the ground the winemakers 20 yards away pulling up stones of and explaining to me why these stones make up the flavor profile sure. of that specific wine and to me it automatically translates to a better experience for the guests that I serve, the guests that I, I work with, the team that I work with, because it's it's all about knowledge. Yeah, and I think just hearing that story in the same way that you are more like, like in the same way that you want to, if someone comes to, like if you're living in South Dakota and someone wants to come to South Dakota, you have this intense passion to want to show them a good time. Yeah. I feel like that also translates to if I'm going to serve you a Cote du Rhone, I want to be able to tell you about why this is special. Why, why it's special and why why it also matter, why it works for you. Yep. You know, and, yep. and, and those, like, to me, like, the wine, every wine is special. Mm. Every wine has a story. Like, when you, when you get to the winemakers, you want to drink the wines that are incredible, no matter what the price range is. They all have a story. There's some like, it's one of the most unique things like, in the world. One of the most unique agricultural products. Like, like imagine if every carrot had a story yeah. behind it. Yeah. Like, yeah. Be insane. But instead, it's it's grapes. Uh huh. And, and but at the end of the day, you're not just a farmer. You're kind of an artist, and you have so many different routes to go as a winemaker and farmer to produce that product. And the, I think there's way more, there's so many stories to be told. And, and a lot of that comes from the wine, a wine is a place, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. uh, that's, I mean, especially, especially the, the French way. Yeah. Like you'll, mm-hmm. you're never going to see a Jarnay. You're going to see Chablis, Mount de Tenere. You're going to see uh, Cote de Rhone. You're going to see Sancerre, Sancerre, Bordeaux. Like those are places, mm-hmm. and those places are special, and those those wines are special and very specific to a place. Correct. Can you rant a little bit on what's currently happening with natural wine versus old school wine? Because we've had conversations about it, but I I really enjoy your perspective because you are a psalm that likes natural wines, and you've had experience building yeah. lists in a couple different ways. So. Not to take like to take it off travel for a second and put your psalm hat on. What, where's your head at in 2019 with where where the natural wine versus old school wine is at or old world? I I've been really lucky to have two vastly different experiences with wine that both that really shaped who I am as a sommelier. Uh, my first experience, my first experience running a wine program was in Norway, where natural wine is 20 years more advanced than most places in the world. As soon as those, those wines were one of the first to hit, natural wine hit like Scandinavia and then Japan 
and now like U.S. Yep. And on the coasts, usually on, like on the coast, like New right York, now. New York, and and L.A. Like you, mm-hmm. like L.A. is just eating it up. Mm-hmm. And those those wines were running a program in Norway, especially coming from an outside world. I had to really learn about those producers really fast, and I got to work with some of the best natural wine importers who brought in some of the best wines uh, in that category and that style. And and to me, you know, the the while natural wine has no legal definition, it it's uh, it's it's a style stylistic choice uh, for a wine for someone growing grapes to be less about who's more about the, the process of growing the grapes than they are about manipulating the wine. Sure. And and it's it's all about how how do I not mess this up, but also like show show the true expression of the earth, the soil, the terroir, the place. And also just kinda like help it along and you and not take away stuff, not add stuff to it, but just let it show itself. Mm-hmm. And I spent you know, years working with the, that sort of program, and learning the 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 kind of wines that you know, their natural wine has a, a huge hurdle to jump when it comes to the U.S. market, and that it it has a lot of characteristics to it that are foreign to the 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 palate of the average wine drinker in the United States, and. The, the concept behind wine. Um, my second experience as a sommelier was working with a very classic wine produ- wine wine director, dove into sort of the classics of the the wine world, sort of the like the the hits, if you will, and those wines were are not. Like our wines that you don't see every day, you can't drink every day. I've I've been very lucky with that position to drink and try some of the greatest wines of the world that I will never ever be able to afford or never even want to afford. Yep. And I think in where my personal opinion is that the wine, no matter how the wine is grown, whether it is a winemaker using techniques they've learned in school to create the the perfect wine or someone who's found the incredible in soil and is just helping it along great wine will will show through i think there there's too much focus right now on oh is it a natural wine because mm. that doesn't mean anything right in in the end like most american winemakers hate that term <laughs> there because they're most of them are just like i grow biodynamically i grow organically I just help, like, and I, I like, but I do winemaking techniques because I can't let my product fail. Right. And there, and there, you can, you can't, there's so, there's about five winemakers in the United States, I think, that, that are making true French and style natural wine that are mm-hmm. cloudy and earthy and funky and, and, and you kind of got to question whether it's safe or not. Right. <laughs> safe as in, like, yeah, yeah, the yeah. wine is sound. Like, yeah, the wine yeah, yeah. isn't doesn't have volatile acidity uh-huh. Britannomyces yep. uh, you know the newest characteristics of mousiness which, yep. which is essentially coming from 
not being fined or filtered or sulfured than the living wine. So how do you detect mousiness? Uh, it, it, the last article that I read about it, and you know, it's hard. It's a hard thing to say because it actually affects everyone differently uh-huh. based on the pH, pH acidity of their saliva. Wow! And it, it's it's a a flaw that you're not gonna sm- you're not gonna necessarily smell it unless it's really bad. <laughs> but you, it's definitely gonna be on the taste. And it's it's when you after you swallow when your mouth fills with saliva again, and it interacts with the acidity and and of the pH balance of your mouth, you're gonna get the the aroma of like cheesy bread soaked mm. in milk that's kind of funky, you know what like like a mouse yeah. like this yeah. this kind of like if you ever had like a gerbil sure kind of sure 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 okay like, okay 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 and and that that's, makes sense now. that comes a lot from wines that aren't sulfured that uh, when you open them they're exposed to oxygen again and they start there's there's living there's life in that wine yep. and they start to another bacteria there's something that starts over like uh, gaining uh, gaining ground if you will and that that also comes with that flavor and it, it overtakes the natural the intentional flavors of the wine sure and I've, I've even read that there's two winemaker brothers one who's ultra sensitive to it and one who can barely detect it and they make a natural wine that you know and there's people who I've met who say oh it adds a little like characteristic to wine and I don't know how I feel about sure, that. Sure, sure. But, and, and that whole thing is wine's ultra subjective and personal. My personality is I don't, I don't like it in a wine. I'm, I feel I'm very uh, subjective to it. Yep. But I, there, there's also a lot in wine that people sometimes want it because they want to, they feel like it makes a genuine natural wine. Mm, makes it you stand know. out. It, it, it's very interesting right now because you have these clash of two incredibly different cultures you have like the classic master psalms who have been you know trained to the t to detect these flaws and the soundness of wine and and what a classic grape tastes like and then you have these renegade winemakers and psalms who are making non-noble varietals or growing grapes where you would never expect because and breaking the rules so that you get this very unique product and it, it it's a direct challenge to the old world. Yeah. To the sorry, to the old world like the old school sure. style yeah. of wine. But a lot of those winemakers who are doing it really well take take notes from classic winemakers. Sure. Take notes from classic styles. And in the end, like a lot of the most famous winemakers biodynamically farm do little intervention in the cellar, do a touch of sulfuring, but because they have these old school names or ridiculous price tags, a lot of younger generation psalms are just like pushing them aside or, or saying that's that's not what it's supposed to be, mm-hmm. you know? And I think that, that was one thing I learned from you very early on is it was probably when you were actually in wine school is the, the misconception that the wine pairing that the sommelier throws together is not necessarily the end-all be-all of what goes with the menu. Absolutely not. There, like it, in the world of wine pairing, 
the pairing it, it, to me and a lot of us winemakers are not, not necessarily put there as like they're they're put there as an option for guests who who don't feel comfortable with the selection and they want a little bit of an easy way sure. to be like oh I'll put it in your hands <coughs> and also as an area like to explore different wines and I think there's some restaurants I think a lot of restaurants sometimes take advantage of that and use it as a way as a high profit margin mm-hmm. excuse to charge guests for pretty boring wines mm-hmm. and wines that don't necessarily pair but pairing is so subjective that uh, when you're totally open to things I've, I, I still have people who tell me they're so open to wine mm-hmm. and then they'll get a wine and they're like oh I don't like this yep. you know and the stitch it's like well it's like that's you know my this is what I, this is my expression on wine it's just it's the same same way as a chef yep. you know and then you have restaurants that genuinely you know while the the they keep the the margin the profit margin in in process in their thought process but they also want to truly explore explore an area and i think when you have a, a wine pairing that sort of focuses on something specific mm. like uh, a specific wine region like if you're in the middle of sonoma valley i you want to drink sonoma wines or california wines and have a wine pairing dedicated to that you're gonna try some very cool stuff um versus i think some broad wine pairings can can lead to some very boring stuff and and that's also my personal opinion mm. coming from someone who's tasted a lot of wine you know i i that's being completely subjective sure just because and that's coming from a sommelier like i i don't know any sommeliers who really go for pairings yep just because once you know about bottles you're more likely but i think if you if you go and talk to a, a psalm and say what what do you feel like drinking right now what are you really into mm. you're gonna find some really cool stuff stuff that they couldn't necessarily put on the pairing per se that uh that they want to show you yeah you know i i've had experience like that Drink one of the best wines technically even a natural wine burgundy producer but they make gamay pinot noir and a skin fermented chardonnay out of some of the greatest grapes in the world wow they started with vines that two rows or four like that plots of vines in the most expensive vineyards but their approach to the winemaking is much more like hands-off much more driven and they only make a couple couple thousand bottles a year mm-hmm. very hard to to get and the the sommelier was like this is skin fermented this is an orange chardonnay from grapes coming from some of the best vineyards in burgundy um it's super cool and like i think he was also reading his guest a lot that mm-hmm. he knew i would be absolutely down with that yep yep um you know and well, I was going to ask if there is any value, period, in a guest ordering wine pairing. Because for me, yes, I'm just as down to have any of these wines that you're talking about, but I also see a tasting menu with pairings as a really cool way to taste a lot of different yes, things. Yes, yes. To taste, to, to what, like, if you're learning and, and pushing to learn, to taste everything. Mm-hmm. Take everything with a grain of salt, mm. but taste everything. I say that wine pairing is—it's just not for me, uh-huh. you know. And and but 
I've definitely, when I was learning, I definitely did a lot of wine pairings in restaurants and got to me, got me to where I am today. Sure. Um, Cause just it was volume it's, over quality. It's volume over quality. Like quality wines are never going to hit uh, wine, wine pairing. Sure. Like sure. true, like upper end wines. Just you can't, you can't afford it unless you're dropping $500 on a wine pairing. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I think that's a really important point because we, we, we saw at a time in food where tasting menus would get to these ridiculous lengths. I mean, like El Bui with like 20, 30 plus course yeah. tasting menus. And people would write about it where it's like, yes, I had some really great dishes, but I also had eight courses that I really just didn't enjoy. But I think that's an interesting part about with, with wine pairings is like, yes, you might have two or three standouts, but you're also going to have a couple that like maybe you don't enjoy. Yeah. But that's the process. Like that's part of the process. That, that's where you you learn. And 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 one of the most important like wine is so vast. Yeah. It, it's correct. Insane that like even I like no even master sommeliers uh-huh. not like not just like I I know so many people who will like put a, a glass in front of anyone and it's a brand new grape. Yeah. And it's a brand new region. And it's a brand new producer, and you're like I've never had this before. It's amazing. Yeah. Or yeah, this is you know, this isn't for me, but I can understand its value. Sure. And and that's the world of wine. They're mm. they're making wine like right now. They're making uh, a good friend of mine is waiting for his vineyard vines in Utah, uh, a little bit south like south of Salt Lake City, to come of age. For him to make Utah wine, cool, and he's an incredible winemaker. Currently pulling fruit out of Mendocino County, mm. California. Uh, all interest, interesting varietals: yeah. Grosh, Grosh, Gris, mm. uh, Riesling, mm. Cortese. It's so cool! Wow, and, and I can't wait for. I think he has Riesling planted in um, Utah. Cool. The the wine world is just unraveling. And while if you're studying wine, like I, I always think you need to study the classics. You, mm-hmm. you, you can't be a painter without knowing the classics. You can't be a, a true musician without studying. Like we were, we were listening to a podcast earlier with Travis Barker, like uh, one yeah. of the greatest drummers of of like our generation, uh-huh. talking about like oh I like. I learned how to play classic jazz. I learned how to play rock and roll. I love playing hip hop, and I play in a in a pop pop punk band. Like, you know, he became an incredible artist because he was able to study the whole realm. And I think if you, I think it's so easy right now to get totally trapped in uh, one stylistic set of wines. Like, I know people who refuse to drink something with sulfur in it refuse to drink something from a classic wine region a non uh from uh like that style and i also know people on the other hand who who won't drink natural skin contact wine or will like scoff at something from a obscure country you know and i think like we said earlier like you have to have such an open mind to trying everything that that's the great like just like travel like you have to be willing to just, you know, go for it. So that's actually a perfect segue because I wanted to bring it back to travel for a second. So you spoke a little bit about when you get to a restaurant and you have that conversation with the Psalm, like you personally, 
can you give a little bit of tactical information for people listening who, you know, you get to Italy or you get to France or you get to London or you get to Cape Town, South Africa, and you're wanting to try some unique wines that you might not normally get at home. What is that conversation that you have with the Somme? Because I feel like it's often an intimidating thing to have that, like have that big fat wine list in front of you and to really not know maybe what you're going to order or, 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 or what you're looking at necessarily. So what are some of like the scripts or the conversations or the, the one-liners or questions you'll ask? For, for sommelier purpose, I, I, think, I think it's, you know, coming from both as a, a guest and mm. a sommelier, I think it's so important to just like don't be afraid to be honest and direct. Yep. You know, and, and, and just, and, and being open with that, say like, I have $80 on budget. I'm really looking for a white wine. I'm really open to new things. You know, I, I usually like drinking reductive white burgundies, but I'm, I'm, I know I want to try something new. Sure. I, and that person knows the wine list better than you will ever know the wine list. Correct. And they're going to, they're going to take that as a challenge and be excited and, and be excited with you. You know, I was recently at uh, London mm-hmm. and at a restaurant with uh, with a group, uh, a two Michelin star restaurant with a group of diners who were, two were some people I knew for a long time, two I just met that weekend. None of them had ever been in a Michelin star restaurant before, never done a tasting menu before, never even like, came to that process and it was one of those enlightening to come from someone who has this that is my life tasting menus restaurants getting these experience it was so insightful to see see it from a side of someone like this is brand new to me right we talked to the salmon like we we all talked about what kind of wines we were interested in and what like you know, my friend was like, I like big, bold red wines. And his wife was like, I like sweet rosés. Wow. And like the, the sommeliers, is, or I like sweet white wines. And the sommelier is like, boom, like rosé champagne. Uh-huh. Like found this incredible bottle that bridged those two ridiculous things. Wow. And it was I like, I, I always want to put it in their hands and give them sort of a... Uh, um, parameters yep you know that you want and if you don't have parameters like be just talk talk to them they're mm-hmm. the, you know the worst thing you can do is just like don't ever take out your phone and start googling producers or <laughs> yeah. out of fear right? out of fear for looking stupid i i see that so many times in restaurants the the last one i worked at the wine list was i put it in front of experienced sommeliers and say who are friends and and say like recognize three like tell me if you recognize any of these producers and i'd be like i know two out of the 150 that you have here wow you know and it's you know that was just because it was such a very unique list Uh i'd see guests who rather go through (laughs) and look at what like oh well gives it a 4.8 score that's not very high. And meanwhile, you're like, I'm like, being paid to do this like, job th- this for you. This is my job. Like, you tell me, <laughs> oh, you like red wine and you want to spend under $100 and it wants to be kind of like a Bordeaux, but also like a Pinot. Like, I'm going to know the exact... I, I already have three wines I yep. want to show you. Yeah. But you want to be... You, like, 
standoffish. Sure. And I, I think that's the worst thing you could do. Right. You gotta you gotta trust the the people who work there and that, the professionals. That, right. That can that can take that can take a lot. I've mm-hmm. I've been to mm-hmm. restaurants where I've been very skeptical and sure. you know and it you gotta you gotta humble yourself to yeah to the level that if you don't know you there's you gotta ask yeah yeah. You know? Taking it a, a, a quick step back because a lot of people might be hearing like you saying tasting menus are my life, doing oh, yeah. re, like traveling to different um, regions of the world is amazing. And it's definitely a reason why I got into the industry and why I continue to stay in the industry is because travel is such a huge part of it. Uh, exploring different cultures and cuisines is such a big part of it. But with a lot of that moving around, that vagabond life comes joining new teams and new restaurants. And I guess my question for you is, how do you, or how would you advise someone to get the confidence to start at a new restaurant? Like coming from, I don't know, you're, you're, you're moving to France for the first time, you're going to Spain, and you're like super nervous to join this new restaurant team. I know you're good at it for very specific personality focused reasons, but is there any like tactical strategical points that you could give to someone starting at a new place that's probably on the higher end of things i think it's terrifying yes uh i remember when i was going to norway and i knew one person at the restaurant and didn't know him that well Mm. you know i think when we're talking like higher end of restaurant that world is so small i think it is important to reach out and ask like if you're going to that restaurant try to reach out to a chef a friend someone who might have a connection with that restaurant and ask what it's like you know before i if you're making the goal or or like kind of get a little like do a little detective work into the into the choice you have you're making Mm. so that you can you can come it's it's like doing research you can come prepared right you're you can uh, i mean when I went to New York City, 19, 20 years old, I mm-hmm. was wide-eyed and very naive and had no idea what was going on and no idea, kind of knew what to expect, but not really. Yeah, yeah. And that that was a very humbling experience for myself mm-hmm. to realize I knew nothing. Yeah. And I think when you start at a new restaurant, especially as a cook, you gotta you gotta bring yourself to the realization that you know nothing. Yeah. Like yeah. If you need to learn how they do it unless someone is asking you how you do it 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 like it doesn't matter it doesn't ma- it yeah, does, empty your I, cup I, empty your cup mm-hmm. like it's you're gonna learn a brand new way and you're gonna put that I think it's more important to put that new technique into your arsenal than it is to be like oh well at blah restaurant I did it like that like <laughs> That's gonna immediately like hit red flags for all the cooks with you, and yep. they're gonna be like, "Oh, like, <laughs> you know." Versus like, you know, that yet that yes chef mentality is so important. And I watched it, you know, I watched senior level chefs who come into a new restaurant fight for, "Oh, well, I do it like that." It, it's like that's it's unproductive. It's unproductive, and I think when you do research and you come in humbled and and just ready to go and ready to learn, like. If you're going to a new restaurant to that you don't know about in a new area of the world that you're there to explore, you are ultimately there to learn. Mm. And you need to open yourself up to that knowledge. And that requires going in 
like open-minded right you know right that's the most important and that the more people accept that than ever coming in like you know what's up sure you never do there's uh fear ups swearn i'm not saying that right even close to correctly uh but so i wanted to lead with he has a question and it is what are the good what are good steps to setting up a stage that's out of state and I want to lead with that by basically by you saying that you need to research these places and you need to like get a taste of what you're getting yourself into. So much of a stage is you getting to know them just as much as they're getting to know you, you. right? And that's just such a huge part of it that I don't feel like people really like take into account as far as like, oh, well, I staged at this restaurant. I didn't really like it, but they offered me a job. I have to say yes, right? <laughs> and it's like, no, no. <laughs> like you can move on from that. Like that's part of the interview process. Like yeah. so much, and, and and I feel like chefs would rather have it that way, right? Like the general manager would rather have you say this is not a good fit for me, rather than them spending the resources to bring you on, and yeah. then three months into it, you're yeah. saying I'm depressed and I'm burnt out and I need to leave. Yeah, there's there's so many there's so many restaurants like that that were like, I mean there there's so many benefits to just going to a place with the mindset of I want to learn and not so much the pressures of I want to learn and I need a job here like that takes the pressure off you um, that takes the pressure off them and you're more open to learn if you're if you're setting up a stage for another job uh-huh. I want to, I I'd say do it do it for two days got it two days is so important mm. because I've had I've had one day restaurant stages where you know everything's perfect. Oh and, sure. And and then you get there, you commit, you get there, and you're like, this is not what you showed me. Yep. You know, I think with the two days you get a full view, and you can take a day to learn, and then you can take a day to perform. Right. You right. know, and um, that's important. And I think you know you need like. So many chefs, like go. So many cooks who are looking for sages feel like they need to know somebody on the inside. Sure. They, you know, who do you know that can hook me up here? Who mm. do you know? And, and I've got a lot of stuff. I got most of my sages by info at blankrestaurant.com. Com. Sure. You know, and reservations at blank. At, like mm. a restaurant's not gonna like. You're essentially saying, I want to work for you for free for a couple hours. Mm-hmm. No restaurant's going to be like, I don't want that. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. That, that's crazy. Labor is the biggest expense. L- l- yeah, like, the, like the, a restaurant's going to look at that and be like, cool. Like, I just got two cases of artichokes turned for tomorrow. Yep. You know? Exactly. It's And as much as you're going to see the experience of the restaurant. So, you know, going to those, being comfortable to just email, have have a solid cover letter, email, mm. and resume format that you know can be personalized towards the restaurant, customized a little bit, but it you don't have to like, don't kill yourself writing a three-page email Correct. with why the restaurant you know is so specific and unique. Mm-hmm. You know, most of the times they just want to hear. You're, where you're coming from, why you want to be there, mm-hmm. and see that you're 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 coming from, see your CV and that you're 
you're where you're coming from and and to essentially you know also assess your skill level yep you know i i know there's i got accepted to stage for a week at charlie trotters mm. when i was halfway through my culinary school yeah like i and i didn't know anything yep and i walked into probably one of the the hardest kitchens you could ever be in and i'm so happy that i did and learned so much from that but um like i was shocked for them to say yes right uh shyan give chain asks how do you choose where to eat while traveling i'm gonna answer first i there has a guide to the city especially if it's been updated recently that's like a really good way for me to like at least get a pulse of what's happening and then i'll look at like a couple local blogs sometimes especially if i'm international and then i will usually put a shout out like that's one of the been the one of the best things about building an audience is being able to say like hey i'm going to be in la what's good it's my first time what do i do and getting recommendations like that is the best the best because it's that it's that local recommendation thing oh, yeah. but i don't know do you have any alternatives how do you decide where to go eat i i think i, I do like thinking especially like the past year of living in new york which is like there's so many restaurants in new york and there's like 10 new a day yeah and they're all amazing that like my first is actually i'll I'll look at another blog and i'll cross reference yeah like oh this one's on these two blogs like that you know that means it it has to be solid um and and then like you said like when like if especially in this industry like i like reach out to somebody you know from the general area you know, I had a friend who, you know, cooks in California. He was uh, a good chef in St. Louis. We were driving through Louisville, and I was like, where do we go eat? And he was like, five recommendations within, like, a minute. Tight. And, like, then, like, go back, cross-reference yeah, those. Then, yeah, we the, look at the menu, The Thrillist, and, right. like, go look at the menu. Right. And just kind of be open to places, you mm-hmm. know? Uh, when it comes to, to cities, like, you know, look at, like... There is a, uh, the love of getting lost in a in a neighborhood, and just being like this place looks good, mm-hmm. you know. And and I know it's, you know, as a cook, as a young professional, it is a gamble because it's like, am I gonna put out my money and get something I'm not happy with? Sure. Uh, and you gotta gotta take the risk and totally. Uh, but we're very 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 lucky to live in the day where you can just like pull out your phone and have the world at yep. your fingertips like i remember when i when i first started traveling i i didn't have a phone yeah yep. like i would earbuds in like hit the pavement and look for like, a line look for a lo- lunch and i like i will f- freaking circle back two miles and be like like do a radius of a spot and like okay here's this place it looks good I still got like an, I'm not that hungry. I'm just gonna go look and see what else. Right. You know, nothing comes, nothing looks that good. I'm just gonna go back. Sure. You know? Sure. Interesting. Old school. Uh, Jivian.m asks, traveling on a budget. How do you do it? And I know you were kind of perplexed as to how you were wanting to answer this, but I think so much of it, you've already answered. Right. Like not subscribing to the fact that every single trip you go on needs to be this fairy tale, right? And it needs to be flexing on people or flaunting, you know what I mean? Like personal opinion, I'd rather it not be. Like I'd rather, like I, like I said earlier, like I love restaurants, tasting menus are cool, 
But I think, I mean, you're never gonna get the best sense of a, a, of a place just by tasting menus. Like, sure. I know people who, who travel and it's like, oh, well, I'm going to Oslo, so I'm hitting up Contrast and Maemo, and then we're going to go to, uh, what was the name of the restaurant we could never pronounce that we went and ate at? Oh, um, oh my God. <laughs> Why can't I remember the name of that place? Yeah, one Michelin star place. Smus. Uh, nope, it's not gonna. Nope. I'm not gonna <laughs> remember it. If you remember at least like a couple of ways how to pronounce it, I'll maybe remember how to say it. But anyways, um, uh, but yeah, exactly like that. Like, I, I remember one of the times like I would purposely with travel like make sure I don't, like I'm not bringing any suits. Sure. I'm not. I'm I'm bringing comfortable clothes. I'm not booking any of these crazy meals. Uh, I would like I I've gone to Paris that way and, and had some of the best experiences where it's like, you know, I'm just gonna go and I'm just gonna eat at bistros, yeah. just eat like I'm gonna go buy a bottle of wine, sit by the San Martin Canal, just hang out, you know. I'd find that way more, you know. You can do it. You just have to be like, you gotta be okay with like not flexing so hard, like, sure. and, and you gotta be okay with like that and and it i think it takes even more research to find those hidden gems those mm-hmm. those mom and pop places that are going to be you know like we did we got to do it in hong kong like yeah exactly how many, how many yeah we we had some great meals but we'd go over to kowloon and just be like let's get spicy lost. noodles let's find spicy noodles uh-huh. let's go to this you know ancient monastery you know, like there's so much to do in a city that that doesn't require money. Correct. You know, usually. Correct. I think I think it's it takes a lot more research. You know. Well, even hearing you talk about Matt traveling, and we were even talking when this question came in before we started recording about you basically said maybe it's worth not traveling if you're on a budget. Like maybe it's worth just like putting your head down and asking for a few more hours at work so that you can save up up to then like actually go and have a great yeah like guilt-free experience traveling through france you know there were times that that i i remember one one very big time that uh i was in paris and it was like that i made the conscious choice actually not to go i was going paris then i was going san sebastian and both of them were like no fancy meals, nothing nice. Um, I'm gonna enjoy myself, but like, not gonna like go crazy. Mm-hmm. And in Paris, uh, a very very good friend of mine, one of my mentors, called me and said, "Hey, I have a reservation at La Strance. We, you're, I'm never gonna be able to get to eat there again." I remember this story. Can you meet me in an hour to dine there? And I was like crap I have no I'm gonna show up in skinny jeans and like a denim button up you're showing up in a suit that's gonna look weird but we're at Lestrance uh-huh. and like I had a Lestrance and I like I broke my rule of not going out yeah the next day I was thinking like I can't like I can't go to San Sebastian and enjoy myself uh-huh. the way I want like even on this very minor budget like decrease my budget by what I wanted and I, I canceled my trip to San Sebastian saying I'd rather go there and and not even flex hard, but just like enjoy. Right. Like enjoy right. enjoy it with the, the right amount of 
money, the right amount of time, the right, you know, not being stressed out the whole time. Like, oh, I can't, you know, I, so I'd, I'd rather, I canceled that trip and said, San Sebastian, I'll, I'll, I'll see you another day. Yeah. You know, that was. So many people do that. Four, four years ago uh-huh. and, and haven't I had a chance to go back since, which kills me. Yeah. You know? I mean, you have so much time left, but I think that's a funny anecdote to make is just that just the idea that it's okay it's okay to to make that conscious decision and i want to i have a follow-up question but i also want to add the fact that like yes we stayed in hotels these past two nights but like we were going to crash with my one of my old co-workers last night right yeah. and it's like you can find these really unique ways to to save some extra cash when you're traveling, and it's one of the reasons why, like a- we said early on, like the, that's why we travel to places where we know people because yeah. we pretty much know. The, every every time I went to Paris, I I stayed at some I stayed at some odd places, mm-hmm. and never and, and like what, what like what do you need there? You need a bed. Yeah. You need a place to rest your head. <laughs> yeah. And a place to put your suitcases. Uh-huh. And really a place to shower yeah if you can get those three things yeah and and be fine this is amazing it is crazy beautiful it's It's just like snow capped everything and uh it's so cool the best part about it is it's old snow so the roads are clear which is amazing for us because we were really anticipating getting hit hard with some snow coming up here so my follow-up question to that budget travel thing was what travel expenses are you actually willing to splurge on? Some people think that the caviar supplement is amazing. Some people need to have Wi-Fi when they're on the plane. Some people need to have the guided tour. When you get to a place, what are you actually willing to... Like, what do you actually find worth it in travel to, like... This I don't want to compromise on. I'm actually willing to spend money on this. Um, me, personally? Mm-hmm. I will take a cab yep. to where I'm staying before I take public transit. I have noticed that if, with you. If, if I I have my bags, I'm usually I'm jet lagged, I'm tired. I don't want to make the mistake and end up just lost with <laughs> luggage. Yep. I will rather shell out to get to where I need to stay, get to home base, like establish base, mm. and then I will walk everywhere else I go. Yep. I do not care. I will take the whatever metro i can but that that initial trip is is everything to me mm-hmm. it, it you know it's a to me it's a stress-free way to get acclimated to your surroundings to the place to your next couple your your next couple steps right like if i'm taking a train into the city or a bus into the city i'm like worried more about am I going to make the right stop because I don't know what I'm looking for. You're still deer in headlights. I'm deer in the headlights. I'd rather be paying for somebody who knows how to get me there Uh without me having to worry and then I'll find my way back. You know, that's that's my first thing I will I will shell out for. Got it. Um, and that's just me. I know there's a lot of I know you don't. So nope. you're you're the you're nope. the exact opposite. Yeah. I think if it was for me, I would have to be um, Wi-Fi like some sort of internet oh, connectivity. Yeah, wi- Wi-Fi absolutely uh, imperative these days, especially Huge. with like that, that's your your access to all of your information. Yeah, you know, I can't carry around the books. I don't like 
you know, I, I had an experience uh, a few months ago, actually. I landed in London. Mm-hmm. I was supposed to be going to Norway. My f- flight itinerary was uh, not how I envisioned it. I don't even know. I was supposed <laughs> to be, I flew into Heathrow. I thought I was leaving to Norway from Heathrow. I was leaving from Gatwick. Uh, and that's right. I'm jet lagged. I'm tired. And all of a sudden, I need to figure out if how to re what if what am I going to do? I'm not going to make my flight to Gatwick. Am I like? Am I what? Like I, yeah. I was in a situation where I, I was in a city a day early. I didn't have a place to go. I didn't have Wi-Fi, and and that was kind of a, a very eye-opening experience of like, uh, you know, I didn't have the the, the funds to the means to. You know, but if I bought another flight to Norway, there goes the budget. There goes the budget. Uh-huh. And uh-huh. so it was, it was how, like it was a, it was what do I do? Yeah. The first thing was Wi-Fi. Yeah. Like get Wi-Fi, con- like get in contact with, and and like for me it was making a plan. Like mm. it's eight o'clock in the morning. I mean, like the place I was supposed, the friends I was supposed to stay with, were at work till six o'clock. That I, I can't go take a bunch of luggage, and and look, like and be jet lagged at for six hours. You sure. Know? My first thing I did was actually call call a hotel. I'd rather, you know, I think it's it's so important to when when making imperative decisions to have a a clear head. I and, think uh... and sleep. And sleep is a part of that. Correct. So that was going to lead me into my other thing that I'm actually willing to splurge on these days is say there's a red-eye flight versus a 7 a.m. flight, the 7 a.m. flight, because most people want to take it, is probably going to be a little bit more expensive. And, I mean, <laughs> from people probably watching how we're traveling on this trip, getting, like, five hours of sleep a night <laughs> and, like, being a little bit unhealthy with how we're doing our sleep schedules, they probably think that that's, like, the way to do it. But I'm way more likely now to maybe book that more expensive ticket if it means that I get a little bit... Like, it alters my timeline so that my sleep doesn't get disrupted. Because, I don't know, I, like, that's just how I... Like, I would re- I would probably have a better experience in a city if I feel a little bit more well-rested. So, for me, I think that's, a, that's like, something I'm continuing to prioritize. But I still take red-eye flights. I'm, I'm the exact opposite. Yeah, you're willing to, I'm, like... <laughs> I take, for three times this... Three times in January, I took the 3 a.m. train down to Jesus. Uh, Virginia, uh-huh. which is six hours, and I love it. I love, I'd rather take the, you know, but I, I, I mean, I, I think it's different too. Like, I, my sleep schedule is beyond messed up, and a lot of that comes from restaurants, <laughs> living and working in restaurants. Uh-huh. I, I will rather work a Saturday night shift, finish, have finish shift have two hours to kill usually on a saturday night with with co-workers at a bar with anything and then get to the airport and and be so exhausted that it's i there's no choice but sleep right then like to me if i'm taking a 7 a.m flight it's like it's to me i actually find it more torturous i'll like i don't want to go home sleep for four or five hours then then do this whole mess. I'd rather just get it done with, and and I think that came from our time in Norway. Like totally, our flights out of Norway 
was always the always. It was a six a.m. flight from Am- Bergen to Amsterdam, and then Amsterdam to JFK. Wherever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's and right. And it was always after the biggest service Saturday night push we could ever have. And for miles under sixty, yeah, we're good. And the joke was always like, "Will you make it to your flight? <laughs> like, will you stay out too long? Will you go to a yeah. club and?" Will go you, back to a nosh pill somewhere and pass out on someone's couch. Like, I've will you one. actually make it to the, to I the didn't flight? I to Paris once. Here's a question. How do you combat jet lag when you do get to your place? Do you have any tactics you'll use or, I don't know, like, you just <laughs> got to live with it? I got I, I, I to gotta live with it. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean... I mean, you're used to it. I think it's, it's hard, and, and I, I think... Honestly, you're going to be perpetually tired anyways. Correct. I've never, whether it was a 3 a.m. flight or a 10 a.m. flight, mm-hmm. I've never landed at a different time zone and been like, I feel great. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't think, I don't have a recollection yeah. of that. I guess that's true. I you guess know, that's I, true. I think it's more likely that you're, I think it, it's super important to to fight it. Mm. That, that first couple hours, I, like, if you're getting it at 8 a.m., like, last till 10 p.m. Uh-huh. Like, do do that much. Like, sure. it's going to be so hard, but, like, get that first night of sleep and 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 walk around, explore, go to that restaurant, you know, but don't, don't like... Stay in the hotel room. Don't stay in the hotel room, but also don't go to the bar oh. at, at midnight. Like, yeah. don't, don't overdo it so that the next day you're even more tired. Sure. Like, I, I, had, a, I had a trip where I... I had like a huge party leaving Napa. You remember this? Yes. To Paris. Yes. I got an hour of sleep, and then sixteen oh, hours man. in a plane, then four hours on a train, and three hours on a on a driving. This one you went to Pomerol. Yeah, that was crazy. And I was tired for like a week, and I, I just <laughs> I gave up, and the. The chateau that I went to go work for, they made fun of me so much because it was like, oh, done with work, done with activities for the day. It's 4 p.m. I'm going to bed. Like, <laughs> I'm so tired. And I, I, I kind of, like, kicked myself because it was, like, I could have been doing so much more. Yeah. But it was also, like, this sleepy wine town. So yeah. it wasn't like this, like, that made it even more hard to just, like, totally. stay awake because it was like, what, I mean, I finished everything for the day we had dinner like there's not like i didn't push myself enough to go sure explore sure and i was so tired i have a couple of road trip questions because yeah. we're on the road chef cliff smith asks worst road trip songs i like this is actually the first road trip that like we i think we've listened more to podcasts and comedy correct than we have and I actually find I'm glad that, you brought that up I find that a lot more um, engaging engaging it's mm. so engaging like actually the only times that I've had actually trouble staying awake or focusing on driving when someone's rolling you to sleep with music when it wasn't engaging enough yeah versus listening to somebody talk like, right even if it's making stupid fart jokes yeah yeah it it, it was it was good. If you're traveling between two locations and you have the choice of either a train or a bus to get there, what are you more likely train. to pick? Train. Aisle or window seat? 
Uh, window. Window. Makes sense. I've taken the train more than I have. I've taken it four times yeah. in the past six months. Wow. Uh, mainly to see my family in That's Virginia. Right. That's right. And I've loved it. I, I'll take it way more than I can do flying. I don't know. How, I, I don't think I could do this trip. Um, I think that's a little, that's a lot. Well, trains um, are so nice because you get so much leg room and like you get leg room, stand you get, up, walk around. You get Wi-Fi. Uh huh. You know the you know it's not all. The restrooms are actually like nice. Like bus bus restrooms are so. I don't even want to. I don't even want to. No thank think you. Think about. I, I could Nitec. never do a bus. Nitec. Let's talk gear for a second. If 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 I'm if you're packing up your bag to get ready to go somewhere, what are like two travel essentials? Like what are the first? What goes in your bag first? Aside from like passport, like uh, the obvious. Uh, <laughs> uh, it it. I mean, uh, Mophie and a Leatherman. Got it. Got it. Is yours okay to travel on a plane? The Leatherman that you have? No. Okay. Don't I travel was, on a plane with it. <laughs> I was trying to uh, think. Mophie and I mean, I, I mean, pack it in your yeah, in your whatever uh, bag. your checked bag. Yeah. Oh, that's a good not, point. Not that's on a, a carryway. Mophie for everybody listening is like a, just an external battery pack. Yeah. That that'll save your life. I have. There's so many times I've landed. The plane doesn't have a charger. Uh-huh. The my cable sh- is shot, and you show up in a in a new city, and you have like five percent battery. Yeah. And you're like, I know, I don't know where I'm going. Yeah. You know, again, we're we're like. Yeah, wife. Yeah, you can't use the Wi-Fi how, how if you many, don't have a battery. How many people can genuinely read maps? Correct. Correct. That's so funny that you say that. Were you uh, a Boy Scout? I was not a Boy Scout, but. On all those road trips that I would take my family, I was the guy in the passenger seat holding the map. Yeah. So I got tons of experience holding a map, and like I loved it. I loved all elements of navigation. Oh yeah. Amazing. So fun. Like, oh, we're gonna take like even your little dashboard thing here. Like we're gonna take this way, and this way it's gonna be faster, and we can actually see this city if we go this way. Loved it. Loved it. Uh, here's one thing I was thinking about in all these podcast interviews I've done. I've had a lot of time to like reflect on what it actually is about the industry that I enjoy and hearing you talk about the fact that you're so hospitality focused and it's like you're a hospitality professional maybe a restaurant was part of the dream early on but especially with the way that the economics work out would you ever open a hotel no. never open a hotel I, I would open a bed and breakfast Got I would it. open something three five rooms uh-huh. uh, I, that's actually like if I could have, I like I say it's a dream. It, it would take a lot to get there. I know it would, but I would I would kill for three to five room on land, mm. big open kitchen, huge long dining room table, family style meals, where you're you're there as a retreat, as a getaway, as mm. you know, to to be absorbed in nature, to be absorbed in whatever area this is. You know, I grew up. I grew up in South Dakota. I got very, very lucky. My, you know, the my family bought a piece of land that was 336 acres of wildlife conservation. Jesus. We had eight acres of land that we could build or farm on. Um, we had about an acre of seasonal garden. Wow. And the the goal my parents wanted to do was to build a bed and breakfast yeah. for hunters because it was South Dakota, uh, but they didn't 
like the idea of four boys running around and <laughs> hunters yeah. running around. Yeah. You know, and like they didn't like the idea of people on the land. Correct. With with open guns and uh-huh. it wasn't that big big enough of land yeah um so the the idea never came to fruition mm-hmm. they still have that dream i still have that dream cool look at that that's so cool wow what the hell is that it's like well, this big steampunk something something it's probably a oil refinery yeah look at the mountain behind it yeah and the train going by that's wild I'm sorry that I can't show the video watchers. A couple more questions that I ask all my guests, only because this is the first time you're coming on the show, and we're definitely going to have more episodes now that you're going to be in Seattle. It's a Saturday morning, or your first day off after a work week. You're standing in front of your kitchen. How do you make your eggs? Uh, over easy. Got it. Um, on top of a plethora of potatoes. Yes. Very Irish of you. Um... You somehow get a call right after this interview that you've w- somehow won an all-expenses-paid trip to eat at your dream restaurant, and when you get there, there's someone you've always wanted to talk with waiting to have dinner with you. What restaurant is it, and who is that person? Is this person alive or dead? Dead or alive. Dead or alive. Mm-hmm. Ooh. And any restaurant, anywhere. Maybe it can also be open or closed. Because, I mean... I don't know if it's outside the the parameters, but mm. I mean, Ferdinand Pont at, at La Pyramid, yep. fifty years ago, uh-huh. when the industry was 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 really truly changing, mm. you know, and and you know he was, I mean, they they joke and talk about like he was one of the only guys considered for legend has it he was considered considered for four Michelin stars. Wow, you know, really, no, I've read that actually a That's handful of places. Crazy. Um, and it, and it, he actually has stories about stay where you're at. You don't want to change things. Yeah, hospitality. Like, yeah, totally. He, he like he had some incredible restaurants, but he had such a personality, and he took care of his guests in such a unique way as well. Like he, it was pretty incredible. Like you, if you get mock astronomy, the the new one, it has some amazing stories about how he took care of people mm. who came to his restaurant and. You know, whether it was a, a two truck drivers who who pulled in and said, "Oh, we just wanted to see see the great restaurant," and he's like, "Well, you've never like," and they're like, "We're not worthy. We just want to see it." He's like, "You can't say you've seen it if you've never eaten here." Right. Sit your down and have a meal. And, That's awesome. You know that that level like I love that concept, and he inspired the greatest chefs of you know who is it. Paul Bacuse, the, yep. the chef of the the century. Yeah, you know, yeah, I, I, you know, like that, like that level person is is somebody who who I want to like for for industry's sake. I would I would kill to eat at his restaurant and and with with the with the guy with the guy himself. That's awesome. I think uh, I'm a hopeless romantic for. That totally. level of French cuisine. I um, mean, your your you profile a- picture on <laughs> almost all things is you shaking Paul Bocuse's hand. It's incredible. It's a legend. It's, it's like such a legend. Um, shook hands with Frank Sinatra. I mean, that's the that's the same. I mean, the closest feeling that I've had to that that experience that you just described is essentially what we had last night at Rye. Right, yeah. like coming in from out of town, being like. The, the guy meets us for barbecue 
Yeah. You know what I mean? Shows us around. And then we go to his restaurant. He comps the meal because he's just so freaking hospitable. Colby and Megan are some of my favorite people in the world. Yes. And I've, like, I've been so lucky, like... When we, we first met when he was a guest chef in Norway, uh-huh. and we did, we, was it the four of us? We piled, it was the four of us in Bondwing, right? Yep. yep. Or, like, we piled into Christopher's mom's. That's sk- right. Skoda. Yep. yep. Uh, I remember. We drove for a total of eight hours that day. Uh. And, and, like, Colby is a Midwest chef. Like, I was a Midwest chef, and... Like he spent time at Trotters, and he knew a lot of the same people, and just kind of connected with a guy who like is both outside the industry, and like he's not in the fine dining world. Sure. Like he has Blue Stem, which is a fine dining restaurant, in Kansas City, but it's never gonna like it's never gonna be on the same um, maps as San Francisco, like, San Francisco, or New York. Or New York. Yeah. No, I'm not like the food. I'm sure is. Amazing. Judging by the food we had at Rye last oh my night, God. I can't even like. I mean, we're. I'm about the, to dig into those leftovers right now. The the two <laughs> two meals I had at Rye were inspiring, and I can't wait to eat there again. Well, like, that was my biggest standout. Is not only was the food incredible, but it was like everybody came over and said hi yeah, and was asking it, us about it, our road trip. Like, and like, he's just super nice. I, mm-hmm. I got to I got to meet with him a year ago in California. Um, and take care of him at single thread and just like the conversations are always so good because he he knows the the world and he has this world so tied down and we so, and but he's also so generous and so gracious yeah and you see that everybody loves him like we right. saw that last night when oh we, my god we like <laughs> snuck into the james beard dinner uh-huh. colby and megan were having dinner there they were guests they weren't even cooking and then they came into the kitchen and like the entire kitchen said hi the entire kitchen <laughs> taking like, selfies you know except for the guest chefs who who yeah who, who recognized him from from dinners yeah but all the cooks like went up and were just like oh my gosh colby's here like yeah you just see like you could see that he treats everybody so well yeah in in such a such a great manner that like i'd 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 go work for him and totally in a heartbeat totally kansas city yeah <laughs> my laptop's gonna die in a couple minutes but is there anything that you want to leave anybody with or like request yeah. anybody to i mean i'm gonna link up all your instagrams and everything so people can follow along but is there anything you want to leave people with travel related food related wine related just get out there mm-hmm. explore be open you know i i know I'll, I'll say this and try not to like like bring too many tears but like yeah i like watch bourdain yeah watch bourdain and mm-hmm. just like take notes like if you can't travel like if you have to put off and and wait for that trip like go watch your bourdain and if you want to know how to travel watch like see him he he was the first guy before i had freaking like the internet like when i was going to leon and paris or new york and 10 like eight eight years ago like seven eight years ago now like yeah i would watch whatever episode of the whatever city he's going to and i would be like okay like that's the plan <laughs> that's the pl- like not even just that's the plan but like get the mentality of what oh sure 
that's that is basic research into that is actually the most enjoyable research like I, I you'll get more from his TV show than the you know Oakland for dummies totally book. you totally. know go go watch that go visit some of his places you know that was the first like the first couple times I went to Paris by myself I hit up a, a pied de cochon I went to uh, Le Compatois de Cochon um, I went to and just get lost and, and yeah. just you know it, I think it also t- Tony and sense just a, a comfort in being lost and yeah. I think if there's anything you want to take away from travel like just look at what he did and mm-hmm. just like reflect and know that like like that is how you do it like yeah. Yeah. I, I will still take inspiration always from how how to do it from him contextual travel I love it and there you have it. That is the end of the interview. I hope you enjoyed spending time in the car with us. I've got a few things for you to do next if you're feeling the travel bug. Myself and this episode's sponsor, Capital One, would love to hear about how you travel with purpose. Please leave me some of your stories down low in the comments or even tweet at me with the hashtag meaningful moments so the Purpose Project folks and myself can find you and your stories. I would love to retweet some fun stories that you've got because I know that everybody's uh, travel experiences are different. Also linked up in the show notes is a fun piece that I did for Capital One's newsroom where I share my experience exploring Kansas City for the first time that was in collaboration with a couple of the other awesome figureheads of travel that are part of their purpose project. Thank you so much again to the awesome team at Capital One for helping support trips like this. If you've got any questions for John, he is of course linked up down below as well. Until the next episode, please roll the outro. We did it. You're in outro land now. Thank you so much. I appreciate your ears more than you'll ever know. Hey, by making it to the end, you're the type of person that I want to speak to directly. This little production is constantly growing. If you enjoyed this episode, if you like what I'm trying to do with this show and want to make sure more people can find us, a free way to help out that takes less than three minutes is to leave The Emulsion a great review on iTunes. If you didn't enjoy this show, please also leave a review. I'm happy to take any constructive feedback you've got. If you want to learn more about supporting this show with your hard-earned cash, patreon.com slash justinkana is the place to do that. I've got tiers starting at just $1 per month. Let's say you just like being involved through suggesting stories to be covered or asking questions to my interview guests. You can stay up to date by following along on Twitter or Instagram that is linked up in the description for your convenience or always available on justincona.com. If you're on YouTube and listening, you can take this show on the go because this is available on all podcast platforms, including Spotify. And if you prefer video versions of things like my interview shows or the shorter intermezzo episodes and you're listening audio only, please check out my YouTube channel to see more of that. Now's normally where I'd say my name is Justin Kana and I hope you have a good one, but you've probably got another podcast episode to listen to. So I'm just going to get out of the out of the way here excuse me pardon me